Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. is driven by rage and pursued by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead. And he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. Faith, what day is it? I think it's TV Tuesday. It is TV Tuesday. And what are we talking about today on TV Tuesday? We are talking about 1977's The Incredible Hulk. Starring Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno? Yes. This is one of my favorites. So let's start off with a little history on The Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and he first appeared in May 1962's The Incredible Hulk number 1. Brilliant scientist Dr. Robert Bruce Banner during an experimental detonation of a gamma bomb is hit with the blast when he saves a teenager who has wandered into the testing field. And Faith, let that be a lesson. Don't wander into a nuclear test site. Noted. After his body absorbs massive amounts of the radiation, Banner transforms into the Hulk when he becomes angry, a lean, mean, green rage machine. Wouldn't you say? I would say Have so. you ever felt like the Hulk? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> So Stan Lee, you know who he is. I do. Stan Lee is the main architect of what became the Marvel Comics Revolution in the 1960s. Along with Mr. Jack Kirby, he created the Fantastic Four. And its impact on the comic book world, it's on par with the impact the Beatles had on music when they hit. The characters that populate the Marvel Universe were not perfect. They're still not perfect. The heroes were flawed. They had real-world problems. They bickered amongst themselves and often, as is the case with Spider-Man, suffered from self-doubt. Some Marvel heroes even looked like monsters, such as the Thing and the Hulk. But you know what? We love them, don't we? We do love we do. them. We do. We have a soft spot for monsters. Uh, older readers appreciated the more adult issues found in Marvel Comics, and the company developed a reputation for its characterizations and themes. Stan was influenced by Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the creation of the Hulk. He said, It was patently apparent that the monstrous character The Thing was the most popular character in the Fantastic Four. For a long time, I've been aware of the fact that people were more likely to favor someone who was less than perfect. It's a safe bet that you remember Quasimodo, but how easily can you name any of the heroic, handsomer, more glamorous characters in The Hunchback of Notre Dame? And then there's Frankenstein. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the Frankenstein monster. No one could ever convince me that he was the bad guy. He never wanted to hurt anyone. He merrily groped his torturous way through a second life trying to defend himself, trying to come to terms with those who sought to destroy him. 
I decided I might as well borrow from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as well. Our protagonist would constantly change from his normal identity to his superhuman alter ego and back again. And finally, another influence on the creation of the Hulk was the Gollum of Jewish mythology, not to be confused with the Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. So when it's all said and done, the Hulk has literary, mythological, and film influences in his DNA. He is said to be a reaction to war and symbolic of the nuclear age, man's relationship to the atom, and the fears associated with what radiation can do to humans. He became so popular among the college crowd that in a 1965 Esquire magazine poll, student radicals ranked the Hulk alongside Spider-Man, Bob Dylan, and JFK as their favorite revolutionary icons. Now, Faith, in doing the research for this episode, I did not realize that the Hulk was held in such high esteem by the counterculture of the 60s. Does that make sense to you? And if so, why do you think he was embraced by the quote-unquote revolutionaries? You know, I actually never knew that either, but I think I can see that in a way. I think he's, um, I think he's pretty lovable in this, in a real sense, if you know what I mean. He's kind of, um, he's really relatable, I think. And I, th- I, I think I without think... getting too much into the, the social issues of the right. time, I could see how, you know, these college kids who, who are out to change the world and, and, and. Uh, we're not making a judgment here, but maybe you're still so naive as to think that they can change the world, you know, raging, so, yeah. against, raging against the machine, as, as the band is called. <laughs> and here you have somebody who is a ball of rage and, and can affect change very quickly, you know, and they're yeah. angry at, at what they see going on. And here's a guy who is based on anger. So I, I can see it. I didn't know it either. And it does make sense to me, yeah, you know, I looking at it. Um I think it's pretty amazing because that's 1965 and he came out in, what did we say, 1962. So three years and he was already on the list of yeah. of uh, revolutionary heroes. So um, finally, before we get into the series proper, as we finish up with a little bit of history here, can you still see the legacy of Stan Lee alive in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And can you see any parallels between what happened with the comic books in the 60s and what happened with these movies starting in 2008 with Iron Man? I believe so. What do you think of, of that? I definitely think so. Uh, if you look at the history of comics, as we, we mentioned here in this little rundown, they were something completely different from what had come before, you know, Superman and Batman and DC. Right. DC had started this kind of superhero uh, relaunch right before the Fantastic Four, but it was really the Marvel comics with their colors and their characters that really came and almost really made the modern comic, you know, those those older books, they still read like older books, but you can see where the modern comics get their influence from right. more so than maybe something like an older Superman or Batman right. comic book. For me, I can trace everything back to the Marvel uh, revolution, as they call it. And it really is. It's kind of rock and roll, the way they were telling stories. And Jack Kirby, especially the way he was drawing and putting uh, putting images and panels and things. And uh, very neat stuff. If you get a chance out there, go back and look at some of those old Stan Lee books. But uh, the way that the movies then kind of revolutionized, I think, what we're seeing now through Endgame. You know, we hadn't seen anything like this. So mm-hmm. I think his spirit is alive and well. And he got to see some of this, which yeah. I think is really great. And Absolutely. for the record, Stan Lee is one of my favorite writers, and I do cite him as an influence. I don't see enough people citing Stan Lee as an influence. I know. That's, that's a good point. So... So let's get to it. The TV show Universal Television offered Kenneth Johnson. He was the producer of such shows as The Six Million Dollar Man and creator of The Bionic Woman. They offered him the opportunity to adapt 
any one of the Marvel Comics characters they had licensed into a television series. Johnson turned down the offer, but afterwards read Les Miserables and decided to adapt the Hulk for television. Bill Bixby of My Favorite Martian and The Courtship of Eddie's Father fame was the first choice role of David Banner. The name was changed from Bruce to David because Kenneth Johnson didn't want to stick too closely to the comic material. And Stan Lee and Lou Ferrigno have both said that the name Bruce was, according to the network, and this is in quotes, quote unquote, too gayish. Johnson added that he wanted to get away from the Stan Lee alliterative, try saying that, it's an irony there, alliterative comic book name, which is ironic as he cast Bill Bixby in the lead. (laughs) The name Bruce was kept as the character's middle name as it was in the comics. Do you know why Stan Lee did those names like that, Faith? Why? So he could remember them because he would forget what they were. That's why you always do the the double letters. Bodybuilder Lou Ferrigno was cast as the Hulk after Arnold Schwarzenegger passed on it. Actor Richard Keel, best remembered as Jaws in the James Bond movies, filmed some scenes for the pilot before it was decided that although he had the right height, he lacked the necessary build. Schwarzenegger recommended Ferrigno for the part. Could you imagine that meeting? Yeah, I get Lou to do it. Lou can do it. Yeah, I'm going to make the Conan. (laughs) Which is why he turned it down. He was doing Conan. Character actor Jack Colvin was cast as tabloid reporter Jack McGee, who is in pursuit of the creature. He functions as a Javert role in Les Miserables and also as the Gerard character from The Fugitive, another series that was an influence on The Incredible Hulk. So there's a lot of things going on here in this this show. So that's the history of the character in the show. Faith, what did you think of this pilot episode, 1977's The Incredible Hulk? Because this was your first time to see it, correct? This was. And was this your first uh, entry into this series the whole series. Yes. Okay, so And this this is probably actually probably my favorite pilot episode of a show I've actually ever seen. That's that I mean, that's that, high that, I know and I mean I watch I watch a bunch of television so that's that takes a lot to say that but I enjoyed it so much. What exactly grabbed you? I said it earlier about that realness with that character you can kind of feel him instantly and he pulled me in. I'm talking about David Banner. You know, there's just, I don't know. I loved everything that was happening. So let's talk about Bill Bixby. We've had three live action Hulks in the movies going back to 2003 uh, with Eric Bannon. And then we had Edward Norton and Mark Ruffalo in the Avengers movies. What did you think of Bixby here as Banner? And what exactly stood out? Can, Can you put your finger on what grabbed you in his performance? That you can feel his pain and his anger and his sadness. And I think he kind of stole that spot you know for me as being dr banner so an hour and a half of television and he's now your your favorite yeah. and he's he's my favorite too he's he for me is the bar by which all other banners are judged and that sadness is so there it is and the melancholy yeah you could just feel it through the tv one one thing that the comics did they kind of had banner as a split personality at times like he couldn't get in touch with his anger mm-hmm. i find like the kind of real world the guy who just has a problem he's just angry and sad exactly resonates with me more than someone who has maybe a split psyche mm-hmm. kind of thing i i think this episode is just absolutely tragic it's, it really it's, is it's um and there's a beauty to the melancholy and sadness in it, um, I, do, I do like how the story is set up with why he has to get to that point. 
You know what I mean? Like, right. it's not just like, oh, I want to be a superhero or I want to be strong. There's an actual sad, tragic story the, the, to and, it, and, and, if you and it's beautiful in a way. And if you haven't seen it, his wife died. Mm-hmm. He couldn't lift the car, and he's doing studies on why other people can find superhuman strength. And that's a thing. That's a real thing, too. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, and that then causes the accident in complete Greek tragedy fashion. He, he is the... Uh, fashioner of his own uh, doom as it is yeah. and uh, for all the right reasons yeah. kind of like Anakin Skywalker in a lot of Pretty ways much. he's a very tragic tragic figure so this is uh, let's say almost 30 years before Christopher Nolan got a lot of acclaim for making Batman realistic I feel that this does just a good if not better job of grounding the Hulk as Batman Begins does with Batman uh, you just mentioned it. What did you think of those realistic elements here? And and they work for you. Right? I was gonna. I was just about to say that they work. If they weren't in this, I probably wouldn't have been pulled in as much. But I think they work so well. They they don't boggle you down with science gobbledygook. Yeah, exactly. It's not important. I know what's going on. I know enough mm-hmm. of what's going on to follow what he's trying to do. Exactly. How he gets there is not as important to me. What matters to me is the story of this man and the transformation he goes under. And the whole series kept it that way. It's Absolutely. the story of this man. The irony of this series, too, and I heard Kenneth Johnson say this in an interview, is the uh, end game of the series is the end of the series. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Because he's on a search for a cure. So um, it, it's great. And like I said, if you haven't seen it in a while or if you've never seen it, this is a beautiful piece of work that would totally have worked as a feature feature-length motion picture. And I'm really uh, sad that they haven't gone this way with, with the modern Hulk. So speaking of the Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, he did not need special effects outside of a wig, some prosthetics, and a lot of green paint, and uh, a lot of muscles, too, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. A lot of muscles. <laughs> Played Hulk. Uh, what did you think of him as the monster here? And could you see any elements of Boris Karloff as Frankenstein in this performance? Because they did set up, they did have the Frankenstein scene with the little girl mm-hmm. at the lake, which yeah. was a direct callback to that movie and, and done on purpose. Right. So, But uh, what did you think of Lou? I loved him. I, I mean, up until watching this, you know, I've seen other Hulks, but I think now he's actually my favorite. <laughs> Were you familiar with Lou Ferrigno? Yes, I was. And I, I knew he had played the Hulk. I just had never, I don't think I've ever actually seen him play the Hulk. Um, but he kind of he stole me. <laughs> he's an interesting guy because um, he's 85% death. He had a uh, ear infection when he was a child. He had a bad relationship with his dad because of his deafness. Mm-hmm. Uh, his father wanted him to be perfect, and Lou wasn't. Uh, Lou yes. felt very introverted and wanted to become very big and strong like the Hulk. He, he loved the Hulk. And in this grade, he got to play him. It's awesome. And the introvert side, I think he got what this was. And he's acting, isn't he? I mean, yeah. He's not just standing there. No, no not at all. He's, um, you can feel everything he's bringing through. When Susan Sullivan's character, Elena, dies at the end, you feel Lou Ferrigno's pain. Yes. And when he lets out that scream, you feel that. Yep. So, and he thought this was a great opportunity for him. He had never acted before, and he gave this his all. And I think it showed. Really? He hadn't acted? He had never acted before. Hmm. He had appeared in a documentary called Pumping Iron that they made about a weightlifting tournament that Arnold was in. It's, right. That's a great watch, by the way, if you haven't seen it. I think it's available on Netflix right now. And here in Schwarzenegger, give a... <laughs> Give Ferrigno some crap. It's, it's pretty funny. What are you going to do about it, Lou? But uh, Lou was uh, Lou was a great champion bodybuilder. He's a great, I think he's a great actor because it shines through here, and uh, especially not being able to speak. Uh, so you feel sympathy for for Ferrigno. Oh, so do you think that comes from Ferrigno too? From, from oh, the pain I think that so. he was. Yeah. 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 
So this show ran for four years and was very successful. The pilot set the template for everything to come. Why do you think that this show was so successful and continues to be loved by a lot of people today? Many generations love this show. Again, I think it's just the story kind of just is so relatable. And I think people can kind of get in on that. You can feel what's happening in this story. And um, I mean, I know I did. I think there's a timeless quality yeah. to the character and to this show. And even though we were talking about the revolutionaries and why they like the Hulk so much, I think it's the time-tested thing of we all get angry. Yes. We all feel it. Sometimes we feel like we can't express it. I know I do. Oh, me too. And I would love to Hulk out, be me it sitting too. in traffic or dealing with people who may or may not be on the up and up. And um, I think that's what uh, people find in this. And I think it's wonderful. I think, uh, like I said, Bill Bixby as David Banner is my favorite iteration of this character. I think he's Mm -hmm. absolutely wonderful and, uh, he's no longer with us, but what a legacy he left us with this. So would you recommend this to anybody? Oh, absolutely. I'd recommend this to everybody. Everybody I'm ready to to watch it again. (laughs) Everybody needs to see this pilot at least in, and the series. So finally let's, uh, let's wrap this up with the, for me, the best aspect of this outside of the two stars. Well, everybody, uh, the music for this. And you were watching this yesterday and you texted me this music. What do you think of this music? It's one of the most beautiful pieces I think I've ever heard. I love it. I know you like it. This was written by Mr. Uh, Joe Harnell. And I think uh, this is maybe my favorite piece of music that, that the lonely man theme is what they call it. When he walks away at the end of every episode and he's uh, hitchhiking or getting on a bus and kind of when he's out there hitchhiking and he's got his thumb out, every car kind of represents the possibility of some connection or, or getting further down the road and he never gets picked up. It's, it's so sad. And, uh, this music really captures, I think his sadness and Mm -hmm. his pain and also his resolve a little bit. And it's just absolutely beautiful. It is. And they used it in the Edward Norton movie for a bit, but I really wish they'd use this some more in the Marvel movies. I wish too. It's beautiful in a heartbreaking sense, you know? It's and isn't it ironic that the little tender piano piece is the Hulk's theme? I know. <laughs> Just like the romantic theme from The Empire Strikes Back is Han Solo's theme, you know? So I, I can't say enough good things about this. If it's been a while since you've seen it, please watch this again. Um, Definitely. This is absolutely wonderful. And if it doesn't get you on an emotional level... <sighs> You might want to get checked out for that. <laughs> so uh, real quick, we talked about the music. Let's talk about Susan Sullivan real quick. She plays right. uh, Elena, David's friend. What did you think of that performance here? I loved her. I think I even texted you through it. I was like, I really like this character. I don't know. She kind of grounds him in a way. She's a lot of fun yeah, and is. smart. Mm-hmm. And I she's, like that character. She's pretty. And it hurts. Yeah. It hurts when she leaves the series. It does. The way that she leaves the series. And she's the setup for the entire series. And it it really works this whole thing and bill bixby i can't say enough good things about bill bixby wherever he is bill you did a great job so yeah. faith anything else i think that's it uh would you like for music guy to give us just a few bars of yes, the I would. Man theme yes, before yes, we I would. call it a day so well let's sign off first so i am dan and i am faith and we want you to keep your, your monster, monster on, a on a leash or your hulk yes your hulk. don't let your hulk smash so wow. we'll see you on the other side here we go music guy take us out La 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 
Hawk Smash.